0: Hello, 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 good day, and welcome to another episode of After School History. I am, as always, your genial host, Anthony J. Asciatino. And today's episode has been provoked by uh, The Economist. Um, those of you who've been following me, those of you who know me, know that I am a huge fan of The Economist, the um, the, the magazine. And... I love it. I get it every week. Ever since my uh, a, a person I consider on a brother level with me for got it for me. Um, goodness, this is going back probably 12, 13, 14 years. I've read it every week when it comes in. I've read it. And it's a phenomenal magazine. I encourage everyone. And no, I'm not being paid by The Economist. I'm not being paid by them. But I, I do encourage everyone to read it. It is uh, outstanding because its reporting is very free of politicizing things they just they just bring stuff to you okay it's fantastic it's 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 excellent stuff but anyway before i get accused of being a shill for them so um but i was i was reading you know the the title for this current week when i got it in the mail you know and i always run out to the mailbox and it's coming in um the 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 cover it talks about the torment of the Uyghurs and the global crisis in human rights. And this is something very dear to me because I have spoken at length about human rights and about the fact that there are certain things, there are certain inalienable rights and that governments, especially in 2020, don't, don't have the right to take away and in this case right here, we're talking about what China is doing to the Uyghur population, which is a minority population that is overwhelmingly Muslim, located in northwest China. Now, I understand this is probably not going to make my uh, going to China possible anytime in the near future. However, I am also buoyed by the fact that... Men of good conscience have to speak out when wrongs are being done. And I do feel, sincerely, that if we allow, as a, as a civilization and as a human civilization... I'm not talking about America, or Europe, or Asia, or Africa. I'm not talking about any of that. When we stop calling people out for doing wrongs, we lose something as human beings... And, you know, before anyone, and and I understand people can call up, well, you're an American, you know, what about the, yes, let me, I'm going to throw this out there right off the bat. The United States and the pre-United States, the people who lived here before, colonists, committed absolutely horrific crimes against humanity. The genocide of Native Americans, inexcusable, slavery. Absolutely inexcusable. But thankfully, whataboutism has been consigned to the dustbin of history along with the progenitors, along with the people that came up with it, the former Soviet Union. And just because we did things badly in the past, and we did, and were we to apologize from now until the end of the world, it still wouldn't be enough. It would be something, though. And we should, and we do. But that doesn't mean that we cannot call things out when we see them somewhere else. And so that's what I wanted to talk about today. I wanted to talk about what's going on in China with the Uyghur population in in specific, but more about the fact that China is positioning itself as, my opinion here, take it from me, a, a humble historian, as the, air, as the 21st century's answer for America. As America, unfortunately, over the last four years, has retreated from a position of global leadership, it has left a vacuum. Nature abhors a vacuum, and because nature abhors a vacuum, somebody's going to fill it. China's not yet at that point. They're still not a global power. They won't be for some time. But they are a growing economic power, and they are certainly a regional hegemon. If you don't know what that is, and this is my students may be listening to this, go list, Go look up hegemon. Okay, China is viewing itself as the people that will take over after the American uh, experiment is gone. Um, and that is, uh, you know, I was speaking with the great YLH the other day, um, Yasser Latif Hamdani. Go buy his book on Jannah. Go listen to it. Subscribe to him on Twitter. Yasser Latif Hamdani, the real YLH. And, it, you know, we were talking about human rights. We were talking about things. And he said... He said to me, you know, I have a framed constitution of the United States in my house. And he said, I look at it all the time because that's what I want. He lives in Pakistan. He's Pakistani. He said, that's what I want for Pakistan. I want a constitution. Is it perfect? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. But it is a darn good constitution. The ideals set out in the Constitution are fantastic. You know, criticizing the Constitution would be like criticizing, uh, you know, a a football player who says, I want to go out and score three goals today, and he only scores two. Would you say, oh, well, you're a failure. You only scored two, and you set out to score three. No, we haven't in the United States. We haven't ever lived up to the Constitution. But I'll tell you what, we've done some pretty darn good things in that line. And we have tried from time to time to be to live up to that ideal. And and it's been a work in progress and it's still a work in progress. I mean we're still you know I mean it was you know 70 years ago we had segregation in this country. We don't anymore. You know 100 a, a and uh, you know 50 years ago we had slavery. We don't anymore we're working on it. It's, it's, it's going to take time. We live in an era where everyone wants things done right now. I mean, come on. How many of you, you, you take out your smartphone and, you know, you try and load a website, or you try and launch an app. If it takes more than five seconds, you get aggravated, don't you? It's like, oh God, refresh, refresh, load here. I mean, we we live in an on-demand society. That's what we want. That's what we expect. But we forget that a lot of it is not on demand it's not it takes time to change people's minds. It takes time to change opinions and to make things apparent and it's not easy you know you're you're faced with people who are fighting against you the whole time but it it's something that's worth fighting for so um I have been interested in China since I was um, in in uh, d- 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 grade-slash-middle school. Uh, <laughs> this is where I, I reveal to people that I wasn't always the, you know, cool cat that I am now. But I played a game, Spike Koi, there was a game uh, on the Nintendo called The Romance of the Three Kingdoms. And... What a game it was! It was a game where you took over a Chinese warlord from the Three Kingdoms period, and you went ahead and and you know recruited guys and did battle and tried to conquer China. And the Three Kingdoms period is a phenomenal period in Chinese history. I mean, it it, it turned into there was a a novel in four volumes written about it. Um, it's the, the Chinese media in the '80s put out. I believe it's 40 VCDs. I have it. I have it at home. I I bought it. Uh, it was a major undertaking. I mean like, you know, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people involved with this stuff most likely. Uh about what happened and and these these characters, you know, Chow Chao, Lupe, you know, Lubu, uh Dong Chao, famous characters, some of them heroic, some of them villainous, okay? But I mean, there are the stories behind it. You know, I fell in love with it because I started looking. This is before the internet, so I actually had to go and, and read up about this stuff in this place called a library. So, for you boys and girls of a certain age, a library is a place where they have books and encyclopedias. An encyclopedia is a book uh, set up by uh, volumes that has, you know, it's like Wikipedia, but in paper format. And you don't get to edit it, okay? Please, don't ever edit things. Don't come in there with like a, you know, Sharpie and start editing things. But and I, I was fascinated. I loved it. It was, it was great. And I learned so much about the Chinese history and about the characters that were there and the heroism. And, you know, it was, it, you know, guys like Xiao Yun fighting um, with Lupe's son under his arm, you know, holding off the enemies, fighting with one hand because he was protecting him. And, you know, the, 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 the Peach Orchard um, Treaty where uh, Zhang Fei and Guan Yu and Lupe swore to become brothers with one another, I mean, come on, how, how awesome is that, you know? It, it's fantastic, you know, it, it really is. And I've always wanted to go to China, I wanted to go and visit some of these places where these events took place. Probably after today I won't be able to, I'll be arrested if I go in, but... You know what, that's just the price of, uh, of doing the right thing sometimes. So, there's a lot of other places in this world that I'll probably, you know... Believe me, they wouldn't be the first ones to, uh, to not let me in. But anyway, <clears throat> what's going on in China right now with the Uyghurs... Are they are committing a cultural genocide against them. This is straight out of 1984, the book. If you haven't read 1984... Stop whatever you're doing, put it down, and go read Nineteen Eighty-Four. It's online; you can actually access it online through a couple of websites. The text better to have the text in your hands because it's much—it's a tangible thing. You have it, <clears throat> read it, okay? Um, it, it worse comes to worse, and you can't. There's a movie which is very close to to what happened, not exactly. They take some of the stuff out. But um, in in general, right now, what they are doing is they are attempting to erase these people. And by that, I mean the following. First of all, uh, because they are Muslim, they are being, anyone that, that, any man that has a beard, something that Muslim men are encouraged to do, is targeted. He may be abducted and put into a concentration camp. Or, I'm sorry, re-education camp. The Chinese claim that they are the the government of China. And by, by all means, I'm not speaking about every single Chinese person. If you're Chinese, please, don't think that I'm talking about you in particular. I'm not pointing the finger. I'm pointing the finger at the Chinese government. Okay, I'm pointing the finger at the current government, the regime that is in power in Beijing. Uh, but they're putting them in these camps. They're they're forcing them to shave. Anyone that admits that they're religious is beaten. Uh, they claim that they're doing it as a re-education to, to get them and to, to be healthy, happy citizens of China. This is a bunch of malarkey. I would say other things, but I know there are young people listening to this podcast. So substitute what you will for that. Um, children are taken away from their parents intentionally. Young women are being suggested, and I'm putting the quotes up if you can't see them, suggested to marry non-Uyghurs. They're being suggested to marry Han Chinese uh, in order to basically breed out, it reminds me of that, opening scene, well not the opening opening scene but at the beginning of the movie Braveheart and again if you haven't seen that just go watch the damn movie already for crying out loud. You know I watched it in the movie theater with, uh, with a few of my best friends and uh, you know we I think we were only four in the movie theater. I mean we were standing on the chairs and cheering and, and hooting and hollering but you know the one where Edward Longshanks comes in and says the problem with Scotland is that it's full of Scots. And he instituted Prima Nocte, which, alright, if you're underage, maybe you want to close your ears for this one, or you could just listen because this is history and, you know, I don't, I don't uh, break anything. Prima Nocte was a tradition in Europe from time to time where when anyone got married within the realm of a lord, the lord had rights to sleep with the woman on the first night of the marriage. And if that if that doesn't really, really fire you up, I mean, but you know, that was the whole thing, and and that was their attempt to breed out certain generations. Um, But what happened in China right now, they also put people, they send people into houses, into Uyghur houses, to monitor things. I mean, they put people into your house, which you have to pay for and support them, in order to monitor you. What are you doing? What's going on here? Oh, are you praying? Oh, boy, that's not good. Can't have that. I'm going to have to report that to the government. Um, You know, people are put into different levels of camps, depending on the level. They're being forced not to speak their own language. They're being forced to speak Mandarin. And again, there's nothing wrong with Mandarin. Language, I mean, I, I don't speak it personally, I don't have any problem with it. I don't speak a lot of languages, personally. But when it's an attempt to completely erase a culture, and President Xi, okay, is responsible for this. He views himself as a demigod. He is probably the most powerful Chinese leader... I would I would say since Mal, I understand some of you might be like what about Deng okay I, uh, you know but Deng was at least much more open to certain things he was he was trying to she try has images of himself as you know I mean he has a book out there about himself that everyone's supposed to have and 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 he preaches certain th- it's like you're following the she path you know President Xi he's the man he's the one. I mean, for God's sake! And it's one of the things I always say to people, and to my students, and I'll say this to anyone: be extremely wary of the man or woman who cannot laugh at themselves. I laugh at myself all the time. I laugh. My students make jokes about me. I mean, they're they're not they're not you know. They're not, not ridiculous shows, but they're funny. You know, I mean, I, when I was teaching in the high school, they used to make jokes about my height all the time. I'm only five foot five, okay? So they used to make jokes about that, and I used to joke back. I used to be like, no, but I really, like, come on, you gotta come up with something more than just a height joke. I've heard that a hundred times. You know, they used to make jokes. Oh, you look like, you know, this person. Oh, blah blah blah. And I used to laugh about it. Okay, it's funny. You know, I mean, it's it's good humor. This is a man who has essentially put a ban on Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh after people said that he looked like him. It reminded me of back in the day the former president of Egypt Hosni Mubarak. <laughs> There's a cheese out there. Some of you will know this cheese from other countries. Americans probably don't, but from other countries you'll know this. Curie. Okay, the laughing cow cheese. If you if you're not if you don't know it, go look it up. Go look up laughing cow cheese. Okay, came in little wedges. I forget there were like eight or nine wedges or ten wedges in the in a round thing. But anyway, the, the running joke in Egypt was that President Mubarak looked like the cow that was on the cover, the laughing cow, because that was their thing. It was a cow that had a, was smiling and laughing, and after that. President Mark, like, all but banned the cheese from the country, okay? These are the signs of an authoritarian. You can't take a joke. You won't take a joke. Everything has to be that you are perfect. You are flawless. You are spotless. Um, if you ever look at any, in, in any authoritarian regime in the world right now, look at the pictures of their leaders, Everything is blemishless. There are no, there are no beauty marks. There are no, there are no pimples. There are no anything. You know, I mean, everything is perfect. There's no eyebrows being out of whack or unibrow or anything like that. There are no lumps. The lips are full. Not cracked or anything like that. And that's really what we come down to. It's, it's the, the leader has to be perfect. In every way. And anyone who says that he's not perfect... Well, enemy of the state. That's it. And in China right now, that's what we're dealing with. What they're doing to the Uyghurs is unconscionable. They are trying to annihilate... An entire... An entire race... Of people. And what are we doing? See, this is where I get aggravated... I get a little angry, so you have to excuse this. But we are sitting back doing nothing. I had read somewhere that um, the president of the United States, when talking to President Xi, said that he understood, yeah, you have to have concentration camps for these people. Maybe this is him saying, well, you know what, I wish I could have concentration camps. Which we do, for the most part you Near know, the southern border For migrants who come over um, Who are separated from their parents Are being held in in cages But I, I don't want to get too into that Because that's, that's diverting me from what I'm talking about But this is why the world needs moral leadership I'm not saying you have to be perfect Because you don't You don't have to be perfect to tell someone what they're doing is wrong, okay? Don't think that it's just like, oh, well, you're doing this. You know, again, the whataboutism that the Soviets had, you know, and and a lot of it was right. They would turn around, we would criticize what they were doing to some of their people and they would turn around and be like, hey, how's it going with uh, African American rights in the United States? and they were they were right on that but at the same time it was not a legit, that's not a legitimate counter argument you cannot tell someone a, a counter argument to something is not well you're also doing something wrong that doesn't mean anything you're still doing something wrong so you know if china wants to turn around and be like wow that's really cute the united states talking about you know, killing off a people or something. Uh, (laughs) Hey, how did the Native American thing go? Well, it went terribly. It It was a stain on the soul of this country. But it doesn't mean that what you're doing to the Uyghurs is okay because of that. And it certainly does not mean that we don't have a right. And in fact, an obligation, a moral obligation has nothing to do with religion. We have a moral obligation to speak out about what is going on. And other countries have to as well. And you know, one of the problems here is that you know, go, go try and buy something that doesn't say made in China. Okay? That's a problem. Because of all of that, because of the money that's being made, so many corporations are making billions and billions of dollars. Because of China, and again, it's not that the average Chinese person is doing this. The average Chinese person isn't over there, in Northwest China, in Xinjiang. Uh, you know, going after you know the the Uyghur people. They're just like everyone else. They're they're worried about things like potholes in the road. They're worried about what their kids scored on their test. You know, this is this is the crazy thing. It says stop. You know, people need to stop trying to paint. An entire culture, an entire country with one broad brush. In the United States, I mean, the average middle class American has much more in common with the average middle class Chinese person than they do with someone, you know, a superstar, a sports superstar in America. Even though they're both American. Why? Because, you know, they can't relate to that. They can't relate to that you know if if I make uh, you know eighty thousand a year or seventy thousand a year, I can't relate to someone who makes a hundred thousand dollars a week. I can't they live in a different world than I do, but there are some things that you can relate to, and like I said, that is the sense of 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 a moral consciousness saying that some things are wrong and they have to be called out. You know, in the United States, thankfully, although it took a long time, people started calling things out as wrong. That's why we are where we are now. Because at one point, people looked at segregation and said, this is wrong. We shouldn't do this. We shouldn't have this. And they stood up. And these weren't Republicans, Democrats, You know, socialists, fascists. These were average people in America coming together and saying, no, this is wrong because it's not, it's, it's, there's, there is, there are things that are just morally wrong. It doesn't matter what religion you are. What's wrong is wrong. And we, we sensed that and we came together. And we ended up overturning these laws. And with China, it doesn't matter. What you believe as a religion. It doesn't matter what country you're from. We need to speak out about this and we need to call out the government of China and say what you're doing is horrific and you need to stop. And I mean, I could go on and talk about, you know, North Korea, where I was reading the other day that. You know prisoners in their concentration camps are being treated worse than animals I mean you know it's too bad they don't have oil Otherwise we'd be over there right now Okay and would have liberated and freed and emancipated and all this other stuff But you know I I know that it's not the popular opinion Because politics is a very pragmatic game Politics is where you know you say "Ah, You know listen don't upset the apple cart here But I'm not a politician not yet And because I'm not a politician, I can say that I feel an obligation to speak out about this and to come down and say, no, this is not what we we should not tolerate this. And if more journalists, if more people came out and spoke out against it, then there would be more pressure, okay? There would be more pressure on these people. And if enough people came out there, enough people said, listen, we're opposed to what China's doing right here. Let's put, trade, let's put sanctions on them until they stop. Yeah, it would hurt. I'm not saying it wouldn't hurt. And I'm not the first person to say sanctions are an answer. But you know what? At a certain point, what if the rest of the world said, you know what, China, until you stop doing this, we're all going to refuse to trade with you. What would happen then? Yeah, I know people. Oh, right, okay, Well, there's a pipe dream there, blah, blah, blah. No, I know. I understand that. But you know what? It's, there are causes worth fighting for. And anything worth doing is worth doing right. So if you're going to call someone out on what's going on morally, call them out. And call other people out. Be like, okay, yeah, you want to keep trading with these guys because they're doing things like they're sterilizing women, which is going on. They're sterilizing Uyghur women. They're intentionally driving the birth rate down because they want to either assimilate or annihilate these people. But no, 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 listen, that's fine. You got that shirt for $9.95. Man, that totally makes it worth it that, you know, what was that, you know, the the latest uh, technology thing? No, no, listen. what What's killing a couple of hundred thousand people if it means that I can get, you know, something for a little cheaper, you know, at Best Buy? No offense to Best Buy. But that's where we're at. And I think that one of the main problems is we have no leadership right now. The United States, since World War II, has been... The leader of the free world hasn't always done the right thing, has done a lot of really bad things, in fact. But compared to other countries, you know, the old saying uh, I, I forget who, I, off the top of my head, I forget now, I should have written it down. But uh, the one, the one uh, you know, Sony said, you know, if there is only going to be one superpower, thank God it's the United States of America. Because no matter how badly we have performed sometimes, and God knows we have performed badly, it's still the the ideas. It's there. And if people live up to these ideas, these ideals that are set out in the Constitution, we have really great stuff to offer. And it will be good for people. And it will be good for the world. So... Like I said, I am. One day I would love to visit China. I would. I I I really want to go to a couple of places. The Battle of uh, Red Cliffs. I want to go see where some of these famous locations were from the Three Kingdoms era. They're out to like (laughs) the Romance of the Three Kingdoms twelve now. I have, I have a bunch of them. I have a bunch of them. The latest I have is probably I think number ten. They're up to like twelve or thirteen now, but it's the same thing you know the original Nintendo one was entertaining. Um, you could get Lubu and uh, with like two hundred men because they they gave him the highest power in the game. Uh, you could go with like two hundred men and you could kill like you know twenty thousand guys from the opponent's team because he was completely overpowered. but you know, I wanted to just say that you know this is something that we need to address. And I'm calling out now for people, for all people of good conscience. I know people listen to me from many different countries in the world. Probably, unfortunately, not from China after this. I'll be blocked. But Taiwan, now you listen to me. I know you do. I got you. I want people to start petitioning their governments about what's going on with the Uyghurs. I want them to start demanding... That their governments, and I'm going to do it with mine, I will lead by example. I want them to start demanding answers and demanding that their governments start really telling the Chinese government that this is not acceptable. Okay? This is not acceptable. And all of these great, you know, China has contributed so much to history. So much to culture. There's so many cl- characters in Chinese history who have been just these heroic people, and and to come to this, to come to this, where you're just you're 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 just acting savagely here. You're trying to destroy a culture. Why? On the bay- oh, we're, we're getting rid of terrorism. No, you're not. What you're doing is you're actually creating the environment. For terrorism in the future. Because it's, it's, if you're going to start, you know, it's just a matter of time before people start taking from other countries start taking action against you, independently or otherwise. And I'm not encouraging this, I don't encourage terrorism at all. That's let me make that very clear. But you're going to be you're going to be pissing off people. And I know you feel that you're this powerful, but here's the other thing, too. Your strengths lies in the fact that you're able to China's strength lies in the fact that they're able to um, keep their economy booming and they're able to allow people, much like in 1984 where they allow ambitious people to rise up into the party okay Um, once that stops once your economy comes to a stop for whatever reason and it could happen, it could happen very easily global downturn People are going to turn against the government, and then you're going to just have to rely on brute strength. You're going to have to just kill a lot of people, send a lot of people to jail. You're monitoring people anyway. You're doing things. I, I've talked about this before. China has a thing where it's like if if you don't follow someone, it's like how you don't follow some. You know, if you don't if you don't give a like to someone on the government, you know your uh, your social credit score goes down. Not your credit score. Your social credit. So when you want to get into a good university, it's like, well, have you liked everything President Xi has said? Oh, oh, you didn't? No, sorry, you're not getting into that university. Oh, you want a passport so you can go on vacation to wherever? Hmm. yeah, no, that's not how... You want a loan for a car? Man, you know what? There were 12 Communist Party things that came out there, and you, you didn't like any of them. So, you know, you can go and ride your bike somewhere. This is what you've got. What type of a society is that? Is it a happy society? Is it a docile society? It might be, just because you can't... You know, when you have people being told, and this is going on, when the Uyghurs are being forced to sing the national anthem, when they're being forced to watch the flag being raised, they're being watched. Are you happy enough? This is absolutely the work of an authoritarian regime. There is nothing democratic about it. There is nothing that even hints at the fact that you care about your citizens, about your people. You claim you're providing things. And for a lot of them, yes, they're going to turn the other cheek because, hey, you know what? I'm doing okay. You know? That went on in Germany, too, in the 1930s. A lot of people were willing to tolerate the Nazis because, hey, listen, I got a job. Hey, listen, you know, we're doing this, we're doing that. It never ends well. I will tell you, it never ends well. And I know that I'm not expecting people to rise up in China. I mean, goodness gracious, I'm not encouraging that. But what I'm saying is that, please, just think about, and and for people around the world who are not in China, think about what you're doing. Think about what you're buying. Think about what you're saying. And tell your governments to speak out about this. It is horrific what's going on with the Uyghurs. And again, I would encourage people to go. You know, if you don't have a subscription to the Economist, you get one, borrow one from someone. Read up on the Uyghurs. Okay, and the current edition, it's on uh, uh, page thirty-five. I'll tell you that. I have it right here. October seventeenth, the edition, page thirty-five. Read up on the Uyghurs. And uh, for President Xi, on the offshot that you are listening, but you're probably not. But just in case you are um, I actually looked something up And I, and I w- was working on it before And I'm going to give it my best Because it's one of my favorite characters From the romance of the three kingdoms uh, The character of Lupe And Lupe was a, he was The only one who was really Of all the different characters He was very moral And he was very big on like Doing the right thing No matter what the cost might be he was he was a, a you know a, a a character who didn't put his own needs ahead of his own people, um, a heroic character. I mean, unfortunately, <laughs> he ended up losing out at the end. But you know, the bottom line is that he's the type of person. If you look at his life, that uh, you know you would want you would want someone you love to emulate. That you would want your children, your leadership. If we had leaders like Lupe, we would we would be a much better civilization. Okay? And my message to President Xi is... Nibushi Lupe. You are no Lupe. In any case... Um, I'm going to leave you all with this. Uh, I hope that everyone is doing well and staying safe these, these days. And please, if you have any comments, suggestions... Contact me, follow my Instagram, follow you know Twitter, um, or send me something over Anchor. And if, if you like this podcast, please send it to other people. Tell other people about it. Send it to politicians, wherever they are, whatever country you're in. I'm in like 30 countries now. Send it to your politicians. Tell them to listen to this. And tell them to contact me if they have any problems, okay? I'm more than happy to uh, to talk to them. Anyway, I will speak with all of you, my loyal listeners, next week. In the meantime, as I said, please be safe and go do what you can to make this world a better place for every single person living here. Bye-bye.